Hello, my name is Dominic Laurie. I used to present shows at the BBC and now I work in comms for TalkTalk, the UK's leading affordable connectivity provider. And this is the latest episode in our podcast series called Walking the Walk, a look into life at TalkTalk and some of the people behind the scenes who do some pretty amazing things every day here. Steve Johnson, today's guest, is proof that disability does not stop a talented person being able to work highly effectively for the right company, as long as they have the right kit. It's an inspirational listen, and there's also an introduction for the uninitiated into blind skiing. Tell us about the day job to start with, Steve. What's uh, What occupies your, your nine to five or seven to seven or whatever it is? Okay then, so I work as a uh, type of change manager for the operations team. So I, I work between the projects and the operation, just helping out and, and landing change across the ops teams from an operational readiness point of view. All new products or changes, anything that's going to impact the sort of troops on the ground, if you like, we get involved with to help with you know training and system access and all that sort of good stuff. So you you affect change across large organisations like ours. That's uh, that. I guess, demands a large amount of organizational powers. Yeah, very much so. We have to use a lot of tools, a lot of software, all that kind of stuff. It's all about getting people together and overcoming challenges and obstacles. And obviously, there's always a few curveballs when you're dealing with technology and stuff like that. So um, yeah, quite a lot of organization goes into getting everybody stood up and ready to go. Thousands of data points, um, managing that, keeping visibility on those, choosing which are the most important. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing that people will now discover is that you do all that being able to see very little. Yeah, that's right. I've uh, registered blind, have been registered blind for um, over a decade now. So I have to employ a range of accessibility modifications, if you like, in in, in the workplace. Um, I have a modified laptop, have a special modified keyboard. I have some really fancy software installed on my laptop, which reads out my emails aloud and stuff like that, um, which I use for sort of read out documents and things. And I also have some fancy software which can invert and enlarge things so I can try and get the most out of my usable vision, which which I have remaining. And how much of that is remaining? To put a percentage on it, it's about 10% is is what they they sort of say. But your vision is classified across a couple of domains. So... You have, um, in my particular condition, which is retinitis pigmentosa, or RP for short, your retina is, e- is eaten away. Now, in terms of measuring vision, the, the first thing that happens is you lose your field of vision as the retina degenerates. So that's one, one measure is, is what degrees of field you, you have. And then the second one are things like visual acuity and then depth perception and, and color and stuff like that. So it affects me in a, in a, in a number of ways, but... To try and put a ballpark figure on, I think I've got around about 2% vision in my, in my left eye. That, that seems to be my worst eye. I can see very little out of that. I have more vision out of the right eye, but the central vision is less clear in the right eye, but it has a wider field. So between the two of them, it kind of, kind of works out to give me some usable vision. But I can't really see anything out of either eye independently, which is weird. But if I look through both eyes, I can actually put a bit of a picture together. But you've you managed to find a way and the technology uh, and the arrangements you have a talk talk that means that you really can, you can work across a highly detailed data heavy role, information heavy role, and just do fine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and nature of our work, I'm involved in lots and lots of meetings, 
lots of documentation. I have to do presentations. I have to, you know, go to presentations and resolve that information. It's, you know. How do you watch a PowerPoint, Steve? How do you see, you know, standard stuff that other people would see on a, on, on a screen? How do you How do you sort of cope with those sorts of unpredictable things that happen throughout every day that you need to deal with? Yeah, it's a good question. A lot of the time, what's interesting when somebody's presenting is what they say is often very different to what's on the slide. You know, you, people just naturally, they'll put a load of effort into a slide, but they tend to say what's most important to them. So I think in some ways it's an advantage because I always listen to what the presenter is saying. Whereas I think when I had better vision, I probably would have been guilty of reading off down that slide and not necessarily taking away the information the presenter really wanted to get across. I can assure you that a lot of slides are really boring uh, <laughs> and you're probably spot on. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, a lot of people that work with me quite closely or people that meet me for the first time, once they see I've got a white cane, that usually prompts people to panic a little bit and say, oh, do I need to send you this in a different format, Steve? Or, or do I send you, you know, whatever. And, and usually if it is something that they're going to be just skimming over, but there's a lot of detail, they'll send me their documents separately and then I can copy and paste that into a speech reader or something like that. If it's something I really need to see, or if it's a schematic or network diagram, there's ways that I can invert that and, and try and get it super big so I can try and piece it together. But no, that nine times out of 10, it is just easier if whoever's doing the presentation or trying to give you the information just talks you through something, which is most, you know, sighted people prefer to operate that way as well. How, so. wonder, how wonderfully liberating. You can just say to people, look, forget all the... Forget all the gubbins, just tell me what matters. Yeah, tell me what you really want. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, it wasn't always like this, was it, Steve? Um, I mean, you, you wind back to childhood. You remember we had, we had a chat before and your parents knew that this was likely to happen to you, but they didn't tell you um, for quite a long time. And you think that might have had an effect on the confidence that you clearly have now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my parents decided that telling me could potentially cause me to put, you know, self-limiting beliefs on myself. So they decided not to tell me and just to let me crack on and just live a full life without, you know, thinking, oh, well, what if I'm, what if I go blind at 18? What if I go blind at 25? You know, maybe I shouldn't do this, maybe I shouldn't do that. So because I didn't have any of those limiting beliefs, because I didn't know I was going blind, I just, you know, went about my business as a normal, you know, a normal guy until the symptoms started to kick in and things started to happen. Like, you know, lost my night vision and then my eyesight got really bad. I had to stop driving. And I've just adapted at each critical milestone rather than not try and do anything. So you didn't find out from your parents. You found out how? So I was at college and um, we started going to bars and things like that. And I'd noticed I was really struggling, it's particularly in bars and nightclubs. So when I turned... 18 and maybe on the occasion slightly before 18 we were going into certain you know bars and places and i was really struggling i found it really really dark and i was having accidents and tripping over and stuff like that and i would say to my friends i can't believe how dark it is in here and they would be saying yeah it's dark but it's not that dark so i went and got checked out and the optician dropped the bombshell and said yeah you've, you've got retinitis pigmentosa you were diagnosed at the age of three You've always known like about this. It's you know shouldn't really be any big surprise, but but it was a big surprise because my parents had always kept it from me. They'd always told everybody under strict instructions not to tell me. So then you had a conversation with your parents and said, "Hey guys, yeah, I've been to the opticians today, mum, and uh, they dropped a little bombshell. I'm going blind. I think I must have missed the memo on that one." And then my mum was like, "Well, yeah, your cousin's got it, and you've also got a distant uncle that's got it, and." Having seen their experiences, we just thought 
if we just didn't put any limits on you, you just crack on as normal. And then my mum sort of said to me, you know, look, you know, you're not going to be, you won't be fully blind until you're in your 40s. So don't worry about it. Just do what you can when you can now. What a fantastic attitude. I mean, I, I, I'm not judging whether you think it was the right thing, but <laughs> it, it comes from a fantastic place, doesn't it? Where yeah. they wanted to give you just as much confidence as, you know, and I'm looking at you now and you're, you're a man totally in, in control and, you know, well's, well's your oyster looking at you. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's not limited me. And yeah, I do a lot in the retinitis pigmentosa community. There's a, when I had it, I thought it was really rare and I was the only person in, in the world that had this weird condition where you lose your night vision first, then your peripheral vision, then, you know, the grand prize is going completely blind. Um, but I've since found out there's a whole world of people that have got retinitis pigmentosa. And I do quite a lot on the um, Facebook private groups. There's, there's, you know, there's certain groups that are just for men with RP. There's other groups which are international. Um, I've got a YouTube show called the RP Show is what it's called. And we try and like, there's myself and um, I've, I've befriended a guy in America, similar age to me, got very similar positive outlook to me. And because we've been through the whole journey of the first time you have to use a white cane and first time you've got to tell your employer you're going blind and first time, you know, when you, when you meet a new partner and you've got to tell them, oh, by the way, I'm going blind, you know, all these things that we've had to go through in life. We're now sort of trying to mentor the next generation of, of people coming through because when people find out and people find out different you know, some people are told straight away by the parents. Some people only get diagnosed, you know, when they're 30, when they, re you know, have an incident, you know, they didn't realise their eyesight was going. And there's various different permutations of it. Some people have what's known as fast RP, where it comes on very quickly. Other people have slow RP, like myself, where it comes on over a number of years. So, yeah, we just try to help out as much as I can and try and share a positive attitude, really, of, you know, quite a lot of people, as soon as they find out, they quit work, they go on disability. They withdraw from society. They stop going to social places where they find it uncomfortable and challenging. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of trying to say to these people, you, you don't need to do that. You can still go and work. You can still go to the gym. You can still go out. It doesn't have to be the end of, of everything. It's just the end of your sight. And your, your household um, is also, you know, your wider household is used to dealing with challenges as well, Steve. That 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 right? Yeah, so my wife has uh, cystic fibrosis, so I can't see, she can't breathe. We're a great couple to, to hang around. Um, <laughs> she, um, so she has a number of health challenges. And actually, I think cystic fibrosis, you know, it's, it's a terminal illness with a life expectancy, has a whole host of challenges around it. Going blind is a walk in the park for me, whereas Anna, my wife, has some really big challenges. So I feel um, her situation makes my situation seem you know, a lot easier. So we're not, and again, she has a very similar outlook to me. She's all about getting stuck in, having a great life. You know, we do stuff that people in our condition probably wouldn't dream of. And we push ourselves to do, you know, do that sort of stuff, which I think it's just the way you've got to live your life, isn't it? And your attitude rubs off on each other, I imagine. Virtuous circle. Yeah. Like when we took up skiing, that was quite a, you know, I, I probably should have learned to ski when I had more usable vision, but I didn't learn to ski up until a few years ago. And um, we, we had a friend who has cystic fibrosis who passed away and there was a bit of a light bulb moment. We just thought, what, you know, what are we waiting for? We've always fancied skiing. And it was a bit like, mm, with Anna's health and me not being able to see, maybe skiing's not great. But then we just thought to ourselves, you know what? Let's just get stuck in. What are we waiting for? Life is too short. So we, um, we took up skiing and unfortunately for my wife, she had to learn to ski and learn how to guide a blind person skiing simultaneously at the same time. So... Um, 
but it turned out to be a whole lot of fun. And now we do it every year and it's, it's amazing. And I actually think sighted skiing must be, you know, fairly tame. I don't know why anyone would do it sighted. A bit yeah. boring, Steve, yeah. It must be all, it must all be freezing. <laughs> but with her eyes and your lungs, <laughs> exactly. it's fine. Yeah, we can get down. Amazing. How did you do? I mean, how, I mean, did you just sort of, did you guide each other? Were you physically close? Was, did you actually find the, the being together helped you both get down the hill? Is that, is that, is that how it was? I don't know if this is the official way you're supposed to do it, but but what we did was um, we got some motorcycle bike-to-bike radios and I retrofitted them to our ski helmets. And then Anna skis in front with one radio on, telling me exactly what to do and when to do it. And I just do everything she says when she says, until we get to the bottom of the mountain and she says, stop. There isn't really much room for debate or negotiation or any of that stuff. I just, you know, she says, turn, I turn. So she was in charge, Steve, yeah? Oh, totally, totally. And, uh, and depending on how scared she sounds when she says turn depends on how hard I turn. No, it's kind of like more of a tone of voice thing than a specific command. And occasionally you would reciprocate maybe by giving her a little bit of a push on the flat bits <laughs> yeah. when, when her puff was, was yeah. running out. It ha- has been known. <laughs> oh, it's great to hear. Uh, what, what an attitude that many of us could learn from. Um, you find that, I guess, the right employer helps a lot. One thing we've heard on this podcast from people that have you know, you know, have come from various, you know, identities in their life and, you know, or, or come from various challenges, mental and physical, is that how your employer is in the workplace hugely influences you as a person and how confident you can be in your day-to-day life. You need to work for an employer that feels they accept you and colleagues that accept you and empower you. Talk Talk's really big on inclusion and all that sort of stuff. And I've taught talks definitely the best place I've ever worked for that type of stuff. So, you know, I've, I've got quite a few niche requirements, haven't I, that the other employees don't have. And, and you know, a real tangible example is uh, the IT lads when they, um, you know, whenever I get a new laptop and it has to be replaced every few years or whatever, they have to painstakingly stick on individual bold print keys on my laptop. And uh, I remember one of the guys just said, look, we're going to have this for 24 hours. And he took it home and he said he was just sat watching TV one night, sticking all these individual bold print letters on my keyboard. And, you know, talk, talk, I've got me this special software, which enables me, you know, without that software, I wouldn't be able to use Excel or PowerPoint or any of that stuff. I just, I just wouldn't be able to physically use the machine. So, it's, you know, so show, it's show, show me your keyboard, show me your keyboard. So I'm looking now, you've got this. So this is the main keyboard that I have. It's this amazing sort of bright yellow. It looks like it's colors, the colors of a bee, bright yellow and black. Yeah, I can see that's very, very clear. And you've, it helps you touch and helps you, the site that you have helps you use it, both of those, both sensors, all sensors involved. Yeah, it's from, it's from the RNIB and it's based on this sort of yellow and black. It's meant to be one of the most legible color combinations. That's why car registration plates are black and yellow because it's meant to be the easiest optimal sort of colour spectrum for you to read. So that's why R and I B do these do these black and yellow lettering. Um doesn't work for everyone's eye condition, but it definitely works for me, helps. And on my laptop, which you can't really see because it's off because it's off the camera, but that is just um matte black keys with huge white bold text across them. If I am typing on the laptop, which is quite rare, um, at least it gives me a fighting chance of being able to see the keys and and, and locate where the main keys are to start typing. But otherwise you can do a huge amount by voice. Just sounds like you can do almost all your job by voice, which is great. Yeah, loads of it. Loads of it I can do by voice. It's really, really, really good. So if you're, you're someone that's you know, young coming into work and perhaps feeling that 
and you're losing your sight, you're losing your confidence. I mean, it's tough times at the moment for everybody. So imagine you've got a visual impairment. You're trying to get into the workplace. What's your advice? I mean, you sound like you're mentoring people already, so you already are giving advice. What, what, what's your advice for those people who are, who are lacking confidence and, um, and want to, as you put it, get stuck in, crack on? My, my overarching advice is to take that first step in actually getting your foot in the door and you know just 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 fronting it out don't don't shy away from it don't think i can't do this i can't you know i can't do that and find ways to make make stuff happen and you know there's a saying that i've always gone by which is if you want to do something you'll find a way if you don't then you'll find an excuse and you know it's easy to find excuse and put limits on yourself to oh, i couldn't do that because you know i couldn't go skiing because i'm blind and actually you can go skiing if you're blind and you can get a job if you're blind you know there are ways and means it won't necessarily be easy but it's totally totally doable and i always find if you're quite open and upfront and honest about it like i thought you know some people say maybe you should hide it and try and pretend you're not you know you're not going blind because they worry that they'd be less employable if somebody somebody sees that they've got a white cane or they might worry about how they can do but if you're open and honest about it and say yeah some things i might need a bit of help with and this is the help that i need then you can really put yourself in a situation where it becomes about you as a person and the skills that you can bring to the role rather than how you input onto a laptop, whether it's from a speech or a ballpoint keyboard or just by your hands. Do you know what I mean? It does. How you input into a laptop doesn't define how well you'd be at managing a project. And what's the um, YouTube channel called, Steve, so we can all check it out? Um, that'd be embarrassing if people at work check that out. It's very niche for the, for the blind community. But the, 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 no, the YouTube channel is called The RP Show. And we've got a number of uh, episodes on there. It's totally, totally biased and geared. It's around people with retinitis pigmentosa. Um, but we do cover certain things like using the cane for the first time, uh, having a conversation with your employer, um, various other things like stopping driving and, and stuff like that. We've got quite a bit of content going. That's all for today. If you like the podcast, please subscribe in your podcast app. And if you have time, give us a review. If you have a suggestion or question, get in touch on Twitter at TalkTalkGroup. Talk you can follow us there or also on LinkedIn. Thanks a lot for listening.